Hi everyone, this is episode 12 of season three and I have Chrissy Clark with me from Health Claims Bureau. Hi Chrissy. Hi Catherine, good morning. Good morning. Today we're going to be focusing upon how rehabilitation services work sorry, when it comes to insurances. We've all heard of them and we know what they are, but do we really understand them? This is the Practical Protection Podcast. So Christy, how are you doing? I know we've just sort of said you're a little bit of hay fever starting today. Is that right? Yes, I, I, I feel today that I am the embodiment of what I always say that uh, just because I'm not feeling 100%, I can still uh, I can still be a useful member of of and a member of your podcast for today. But yes, apologies if I if I sound a little bit uh, congested, shall we say? You sound absolutely fine, and any sneezing will just um, it'll just add to the to the atmosphere and, and and that's fine and we can always put a little bit into the uh into the transcripts as well i'm looking forward to Lindsay having like a little kind of you know thing saying sneeze and <laughs> we can go forward from there well i think possibly people listening they might be a little bit confused if they listen to the last one because i said after the last episode that i was going to have a master class with alan about critical illness but we have a puppy and we got a puppy three days ago. And um, I'm sure everybody can understand that we are now, as, as just as you would do with a newborn, we're alternating things at the moment. So us both taking part in a podcast doesn't really work. And also we're kind of just all over him. We're just smushing him so much. He's so gorgeous. So trying to tear Alan away from him is not happening. And it's um, it's lovely that we're going to be able to, in a sense, bring this episode forward a bit and and have a chat through things. I think uh, what would be quite good is sort of like to start off because we're gonna, we've got a complete mixture of people listening to this. We've got advisors, we've got insurers, we've got underwriters, um, administrators, and we've also got businesses as well. And I think that this is a really good episode to sort of showcase what actually happens. You know, if we have something like group income protection in place with a company, what that benefit can really be to the person and also to the employer. So a little bit of a background on me Chrissy I know we've spoken before but just to give a bit of a recap obviously so Chrissy I know we've had a little bit of a chat before but just a little bit of a recap on what I do so I advise on insurances like income protection and part of what I do is explain to people when they are wanting to arrange it that if they are ill the insurer is going to step in and help with their rehabilitation and what they're also going to do is try and step in before a claim is even started so it's kind of a, um, a proactive intervention rather than it having to be reactive so you know hopefully before a claim has even started people like yourself have come in you've provided support the person's better they've not even had to reach the stage of making making a claim even so it's kind of a it's a win-win for everybody Um, and I know all that but it's also quite hard to know how that actually works so as somebody that's involved in supporting policyholders this way where does it all start and, and when do you tend to step in and get involved yeah, it's a really, really good question, Catherine. And I really love the fact that the word proactive was but kind of baked in right at the beginning of the whole podcast. Um, obviously, we do work for different insurers and um, different employers directly. So it's not always the same path for everyone. Um, but in, in general, uh, particularly on the group income protection products we support with, um, the, uh, the employer will notify um, the uh, the insurance provider that someone has become absent from the workplace or is at risk of becoming absent from the workplace, and I'll kind of come on to that in a minute. Um, but normally they will um, they will notify the the insurer, um, and the insurers that we work with have spent quite a lot of time and effort really encouraging um, employers to let them know as soon as possible. Uh, once that person has become absent. And certainly in the four years that I've been working in the industry, we have noticed notifications coming in two weeks, three weeks after someone's become absent. Whereas yeah, I believe historically uh, three or four years ago, we were seeing people at 16 weeks or 20 weeks, particularly if it's a 26 week deferred period, it, 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 it was giving less wiggle room. So I can definitely see there's been an improvement in that early notification um, but yes, we will we will be informed um, as soon as the insurer is aware that someone has become absent from the workplace, um, and the referral referral that we'll get from the insurer will really have as much information as the employer or the or the individual has provided to them. So in some cases, we actually have a very expansive idea of what's going on for someone um, when we first receive a referral. In other cases, it's a very small amount. 
Um, and that doesn't really matter because the, the initial conversations that our team will have with the person who's absent from the workplace is really wanting to understand in their own words where they're at with their health and what they perceive the difficulties are. Um, I did mention a little bit earlier on about, um, in some cases, supporting people before they've even become absent. Um, and we are starting to see this a little bit more with employers and insurers that we've worked with for a long time. They can see that there's actually, there's benefit to them. Well, there's benefit to the insurer, uh, there's benefit to the employer, but there's a huge benefit to the employee if they can be supported to stay in the workplace, maybe with some short-term adaptations um, or kind of, yeah, uh, short-term amended duties um, so that they, they never get to the point where they have to identify themselves as kind of an unwell person or, an, or someone who's absent from the workplace. So I think we all know that that is a, a huge knock to someone's confidence if they, if they find that their, their health circumstances or their social circumstances have led them to not be able to, uh, to continue in the workplace, even for a short amount of time. I think that's um, absolutely true as well. You know, we have somebody, I'll, I'll chat a little bit about it. We've got somebody that works for us who's been on, um, needed to, to make a, a claim on our group income protection. Um, and just being clear, this isn't something that's linked to yourselves at all. Um, it's, it's somewhere separate. And the confidence is, is a big thing of them coming back and sort of like, I think as well, the longer you're away, you kind of the more nervous you become about your own health and what that actually means going forward and and then as you try and sort of put things in place it's a case of well it, it kind of keeps living it as well so you know in a sense it doesn't it prolongs it even more so even when you're trying to reintegrate um, which is quite um, interesting we'll chat about that a bit more later so I think you know once you've You've been told, you know, you've got somebody there that you know has um, is needing your support. Um, so what happens in a sense once you start getting involved? I'm guessing there are some specific kind of case handlers that there's assessments done, like a coordination of therapies and things like that. How, how does it work? Absolutely. So um, at the moment, thanks to uh, the wonder of um, the pandemic, um, I'll try to keep my uh, comments on that subject to the bare minimum for now. <laughs> I think everyone's probably a bit tired of talking about it, but a lot of our work is done um, virtually um, rather than um, in-person face-to-face assessment. Um, but in some ways that does enable us to really look at what the, the main reason for absence is and match the, uh, the best uh, case manager based on their experience and, and their expertise to, to that person's needs. So uh, we have a, a very expansive, I'm lucky, a, a very good, diverse mem- uh, team of clinical case managers who are made up of um, adult general nurses, mental health nurses, physiotherapists and occupational therapists. Um, and they're spread all over the country as uh, our clients are spread all over the country. Um, so when, when a, an, an initial referral comes in, we'll look at the main reason for absence. Um, and sometimes it, it's kind of a bit generic. Um, but in other cases, we've had some really, really specific ones. And knowing the backgrounds uh, of all of our case managers, um, we can then pick who is going to have the most insight or maybe the most experience with working uh, within that environment. So we will um, engage that case manager to make an initial conversation with the employer before we speak to the employee. And that's really to understand um, the background from the employer's perspective. Um, obviously, from the beginning, we're going to be starting to think about the ultimate goal being returned to work. So we will always want to understand from the employer what they are comfortable with and what they're able to facilitate in terms of maybe amended duties or a phased return to work. Um, but also, in some cases, um, there may be more than meets the eye. There may be a health issue, but there may also be a workplace issue as well. we we would really want to understand that um, before we enter into a conversation with the employee, because um, I think if we don't have those conversations at the beginning, we can be working with a certain perspective and we're missing half of the pieces of the puzzle, um, which can delay uh, conversations that need to be had or uh, referrals that need to go into uh, to really address all of the needs in that in that situation. Um, it's also really good for the employer to feel that they are a partner in the whole process um, because they absolutely are. 
there is no point us working with the employee to get them ready to go back into the workplace uh, to then find that the employer may not feel confident in supporting that person, particularly if it's a, if it's a more complex physical health condition or in some cases some, um, some complex mental health situations. Sometimes people have become very unwell in the workplace and have had to kind of uh, be, uh, be rushed off to, to hospital directly from the workplace. So sometimes there can be a real fear around how are we going to support this person when they come back. So we always want to make sure the employer is happy for a from a uh, designing a return to work that meets their needs as much as the employee's needs, but also supporting the people within their team and within the uh, the HR department that everyone feels confident that this is going to be a successful return to work. Always be the first place we'd start. Yeah, I think it's really important as well from like an employment point of view. I'm not saying this is necessarily where you guys would step in, but obviously as an employer, um, it's making sure that it's that fine balance of, you know, you need to be able to support your team to be rehabilitated because there is actually a legal requirement and potentially a disability. Um, sorry, when we talk about legal side of things, Disability Act and the Equality Act in terms of making sure that you do reasonable adjustments. And whilst that can be a little bit grey, um, at the same point, it's always, you know, you, you're probably going to need to take some kind of legal counsel at some point on it. But then having you guys there to step in and really say, well, actually, these are tried and tested things that have happened before for people in these, um, you know, these health um, situations. This is what we're assessing everything out. This is how you can help this person going forward. Um, if it kind of feels like it's not just a case of, right, we're going to get somebody back to you as quick as possible rehabilitation. It's actually probably taking away and helping the the company against a certain level of risk that they might actually be seeing if they don't fully take control and don't fully support that person back into the role. I mean, there are certain things and certain job roles and duties that obviously, depending upon somebody's health, it it would be a case of, you know what, this is probably going to be much more of a, a long-term claim type situation, which is like you say, is perfect when you're going in there and you're speaking to the employer first to sort of like really establish, right, what is going on here? What do they need to do? What are the responsibilities? What are the duties? And we're going to try and figure out if that's still possible at the moment. And that thing, that sounds, um, that sounds exactly how it should be working. Um, I know you mentioned a little bit before on that, but you know, we've all heard about, you know, I think the words presenteeism and long-term absenteeism uh, are words that are being bounded about, especially the last couple of years or so, and it can really affect somebody's ability to work. So I suppose, what is the benefit of accessing these support services as soon as possible from, in a sense, the client's point of view, and also from an employer who's offering this out to their team? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, presenteeism, absenteeism. What's interesting is the data still shows that presenteeism uh, has more of an impact for an employer and kind of across the, uh, the employment sector in the UK costs billions more pounds a year than absenteeism uh, does. And when we've had experience in the past where we're working with one member of a team, um, particularly around a mental health situation that there may be some workplace stress in there. Um, that person works in a, in quite a small team. Um, and, and there is that very much that sense that the feeling that that person has starts to uh, um, seep out, if you will, um, to the rest of the team. Um, so there is a risk from an employer's perspective that if you just think, well, everyone's in the workplace, they're, they're present from nine to five, I don't have a problem. But what can be going on behind the scenes is a growing sense of disconnect, um, a perceived lack of support from your employer. I think support from an employer is, is a huge um, factor in whether you're going to be able to sustainably, sustainably return someone to work. Um, so if the perception is that you're not um, supported to um, address your health and well-being needs in the workplace, um, that that is a, a big risk factor for someone or, or more than one person within a team to become absent. Um, and we have seen that in the past, uh, suddenly a flurry of referrals have come through all from one company. And when you look at it, it's all from one department within one company. Um, so I think presenteeism, presenteeism is a risk in terms of mental health. Um, 
obviously what what we've seen in the last year or so um, with everyone working from home, the risks of presenteeism around uh, physical health. So uh, going into the the workplace when you've got you've got a really bad cold, probably the flu or going in when you've been unwell the night before. Um, and the general advice is if you have had a, a gastrointestinal bug, I'm going to use the terms, I realise it's before today, but if you've had a, a bug along those lines, that we know that you should be absent from work for 24 to 48 hours. Yeah. In a lot of cases, people don't follow that. And so suddenly you see a, a whole spate of uh, um, people becoming absent. And obviously these are short-term absences, but that will have an impact on the productivity of an employer. If suddenly half of your kind of call centre staff are all off at the same time with norovirus, obviously that's going to have a huge impact. Um, but really looking at the really the, the absenteeism or the presenteeism that goes on for a longer time, um, the risk that we see in people who've been absent for a long time before we've been able to, to get in and to support them um, is quite significant. We know that the data suggests that once someone's been absent from the workplace for more than 26 weeks, the chance of them, of them going, getting sustainably back to work long term um, drops by more than 50%, um, which is a significant uh, a significant for us and we also know that conversely those who are referred to us in the first four weeks of absence we can um through the, the data that we we've seen over thousands of cases that we worked on um we can get more than 90 percent of people back to work within four weeks providing they are um the notification that they've become absent is received really as close to kind of day one of absence as possible. Absolutely. I think, um, I think I saw something, I know you were talking there about like how long it can be. Um, I think I saw something in one of your materials or something where it said something like if somebody's more than 26 weeks, that it's less than 5% of people are able to get back into the workplace and that's something that really stands out for me because I say we, we have a member of our team who's been on uh, long-term sick and we have you know insurances in place and um, it was six months I think because obviously with everything that happened last year as well I don't think that helped the situation it was six months before the rehabilitation team were notified to give us support and to, to give that person support and um, and that was despite obviously obviously being where we are and knowing what we do we, we contacted very early on um, and to, to try and get that all in place and um, and obviously touch wood we feel very lucky that this person is now getting the opportunity to to reintegrate back and I think um, what's important with that and for me to just say like for anybody else who's in a similar situation is is in a sense not to give up because um, for for our employee, um, there has been a very big kind of disconnect between the support services that can be provided by Seleco companies such as yourself. But then there are certain things for, for their situation that's required um, very specific support from NHS services as well. And it's uh, until sort of like that kind of side of thing is kind of restarted in the NHS and sort of made available again, there's always going to be for this person it's like a bit, a bit of a barrier to be able to like fully start to integrate. So I mean, they are in, at the moment, they're on a phased return with us. Um, and that's kind of like, you know, when we were chatting earlier, I was saying about how it can really knock the confidence. You know, for this person, it's, it has really, really knocked their confidence because they're almost sat there just like, I'm absolutely fine. <laughs> you know, and, and they feel absolutely fine. They just want to get back into things, but there's still so much that still needs to go on in terms of support um, to try and make sure that, that everything's okay from everyone's point of view and that there isn't that we don't inadvertently go into kind of presenteeism without realizing it and sort of like doing that at quite a, a phased pace and I imagine maybe for a lot of small firms who I know a lot of small firms are the ones that tend to have the, the group insurances I think you know in, in the grand scheme of things um, I think it's probably in some ways quite tempting to go well actually the they're coming back now so okay let's get them back in let's get them back in because we, small firms you know sorry you're really dependent upon your staff and it's you know somebody that's gone is it's a big shock to the to the system in many ways but um but I liked what you were saying then about not going into the offices and into work if you've got the stomach bugs I'll just say stomach bugs I'm not going to go into the fancy <laughs> terms that you use um because it made me think of my children at nursery and obviously if the, if the children are sick or have a stomach bug that's it you are absolutely you are not going anywhere near that place for two days whereas as adults 
we can't really say that to each other, can we? It's not really a done thing that if someone tells you, oh, I've got a bit of a dodgy tummy, you can't just go, get out, <laughs> you know, go home, you're not here for two days. Um, and it's, um, I was going to say, with some of my team, in all fairness, the way that we talk to each other, maybe it's our northern lingo, we would probably just say that to each other. It's just a case of just go home. And they'll probably be like, oh, my word, thank you. I'd love to go home kind of thing. Um, I don't yeah. think it's for anybody to be in an office situation like that. Um, oh, absolutely. And I, I have told my uh, my colleagues in the past um, to go home. It's interesting. Yes. If you work within the NHS, they're actually, they, are, they follow the nursery model. Okay. Um, out of the NHS into into the private sector that was quite interesting um, when I started working and there was almost um, I think there's almost a perception it's kind of a, a badge of honour that despite the fact you're uh, you've got a sick bucket under a one arm or your legs hanging mm. off the workplace and that used to be yes well done you and they're like no that's absolutely this what are, what are we doing we don't want staff to uh, we shouldn't be uh, flogging staff half to death and then for them to become absent for a significant amount of time whereas if we just put that kind of short-term support in place for them in the first place maybe they're absent for a couple of weeks or in the case of your your stomach bug a couple of days um but that short-term impact is more than made up for by the fact that yeah you a you're not losing other members of the team to an infection um but the perception from the employee that they are truly supported holistically, yeah. not just in whether they can meet their targets, but um, whether they're able to be healthy and happy in the workplace. And we see time and time again um, the gratitude of employees when they are supported effectively by their employer. And it needs to be very little things, um, maybe engaging in a return to work, kind of keep in touch a couple of sessions with someone, um, again, going back to that confidence, or even kind of speaking to the employer about, right, I'm coming back into work. I don't really want to have the same conversation 20 times about why I've been absent. So can we just a- agree something that can be sh- shared with everyone before I come back in? Yeah seem like really little kind of common sense things but so often I think because people think they're they're little and they're common sense they can get overlooked um, and in, in so many situations when we've supported someone kind of clinically through a, the medical reason for their absence the barrier to return to work isn't the medical condition it is the the concern about those water cooler moments um, the social aspects of going back into the workplace and in some cases physically how am I going to get into the workplace yeah um, so, yeah, I, I think we do need to um, make sure that we're seeing that person as a whole when it comes to their absenteeism or, or their presenteeism and behaviour. And it, more often than not, it's not the medical reason um, that's really disruptive to their productivity in the workplace. Absolutely. And I think, um, sorry, just before going to the next bit, I think it's like a little extra sort of like extension to that as well as the fact to sort of say, We've proven for well over a year, the majority of people have proven that they can remote work. And so if for some reason somebody has developed a medical condition, which is making it hard for them to get in the office, but they can still be very productive at home, just let them carry on as before. You know, there's, you know if they've been productive all this time, they've still been able to do their job duties, then there's no reason to sense force that person into the office or like we were saying there with a stomach bug or something you've had those remote working practices in place for such a long time don't lose all that positivity that you have sort of like inbuilt into the culture and everything by supporting people to be at home by just suddenly going oh well everything's I was gonna say everything's coming back to normal but obviously I'm, I'm touching wood but we all know it's yeah. it's still hanging there a bit um yeah but I suppose um a big part of this role that the insurer takes in in getting so we've got obviously we've talked about the clients so the clients making people evolved sorry clients I say sorry sorry the policyholders so the people who are actually covered by the insurances is making people aware I'm not well and then we know that the employer has then got to really quickly remember and hopefully remembers very quickly that they've got these insurances in place and the main thing then is for the insurer then to, uh, to obviously step in as quickly as possible I know I've just mentioned obviously a situation where it's took a long time with those and I know you were saying a few different ones but what kind of turnaround times I know you say that you work with a number of different insurers and companies but set yes. up for yourselves at Health Claims Bureau what would be the kind of turnaround so say like somebody has come to you and said so whether or not it's the insurer or an employer they've come and they've contacted and said right we've got a member they're not well we need you 
how long does it take for you to step in and how long would you say on average you would usually see an insurer or a company getting in contact with you really good questions um we're fortunate with um one of our biggest clients that they have worked our biggest insurance clients they've worked really really well and really closely with their employee employers to really kind of hammer home that message that kind of let us know straight away um so normally we would see for them um a referral coming in within kind of first one or two weeks um since the person's become absent from the workplace um and when the referral comes through to us we will as long as the employer is happy and occasionally employers do not want to speak to us absolutely fine um they're happy for us to contact them um we will allocate that out to the case manager the same day or obviously if it's two minutes to five yeah. realistically um and then our case manager will immediately try to make contact with the employer um to start the that kind of process and that that understanding of the perspective from them um, once we've heard from the employer um we will follow the same time frame to uh, to speak to the employee as well so in the best case scenario we will refer a case to our case manager in the morning um hopefully they'll be able to get hold of the employer by lunchtime and then we can be speaking to that employee um by kind of the afternoon what we would never do we, we would never kind of cold call i guess is the best term for it we will make a phone call just to introduce ourselves um in a lot of cases the employer has done a brilliant job of making the employee aware of exactly what our support service is for them but there are occasions when there might be a kind of a, a bit of a disconnect there so our initial conversation is always just to introduce the the, the nurse or the physio um, and to explain what the process is make sure the person is still happy uh, that because it is a voluntary service until yeah. uh, they're happy to engage and then we will make an appointment for a time that is going to be um right for them in some people's cases uh, particularly if they've got cognitive issues mornings might be a much better time of day for them than afternoons um, in other cases um, someone may want to have an advocate or a, a family member or a friend present um, so we will always do our best to accommodate um, exactly what that person needs to feel comfortable in uh, in undertaking the, the initial assessment that's that's, that's brilliant um, turnaround time from yourselves in terms of you know sort of like you get that completely understand the two minutes to five thing I think you know we all have to understand that sometimes it may not be necessarily the same day <laughs> you know we have to make sure that yeah. everybody Absolutely. take care of ourselves and make sure that we obviously are, are having our yeah. time to be able to to shut the computers off as well but no that's um that's an incredible turnaround um I think if I'm right that you possibly have some case studies for us where you're going to be able to explain where you guys have been able to step in in different situations and and just how important these rehabilitation services can be. Yes, absolutely. So I've got a couple of case studies for you. Um, but I did just want to touch back on something that you mentioned earlier with um, employees who are really motivated to get to work. Um, and it really kind of uh, rang true with a, a case I've worked on previously, um, a chap who had suffered a significant car accident and had broken pretty much every bone on one side of his body. Wow. And he was he was recovering. He absolutely was recovering and he was desperate to go back to work. And he worked in a very um, highly specialised um, industry in a, in a very, um, a very key role where concentration and focus was crucial um, to the impact of on everyone else really kind of within the business. Um, and when I met him first off, um, I thought this was going to be a relatively straightforward referral. This, uh, yeah, this chap's been off for X number of months and he's really motivated to go back to work. Fab. When I spoke to him, he was still taking a quite a significant amount of opiate medication so he could really turbocharge in his mind therapy so he was taking a lot of pain relief to really kind of do like three times what the physio was expecting him to do every day because he thought that was what he needed to do and could do to kind of almost cheat his way mm. to uh, recovering more quickly than the, the specialists had told him um obviously 
uh, that wasn't going to be in the best interest of the employer. Um, and it wasn't going to be in the best interest of the employee as well, because he, he had, if we'd supported him to go back to work at that point in time, it was highly likely he would have made a significant error, which would have been absolutely devastating to him and hit his um, sense of his role within the company. Um, and so in that case, we had to have a, a conversation um, around how we could uh, maximize recovery and how the way he was doing it was, wasn't the way to achieve that. Um, but we did speak to the employer and found some aspects of his role that were not, uh, not the kind of the crucial, crucial sides of things. So he could start to reconnect. So kind of clearing, clearing his old emails um, that might normally be something I'd suggest to an employer before someone comes back. But in his case, he really wanted to do something. So it was just kind of doing that kind of tidying, tidying up of bits and bobs, maybe sitting in the background, listening into meetings. So he wasn't contributing and no, no uh, tasks were being assigned to him. But he was able to safely do a little bit whilst we we got his recovery back on track. Um, so um Sorry to jump another case study in oh, there. Oh, it's brilliant. Sometimes the motivated employee, I mean, they're wonderful, um, but they can almost be harder to work with than, than people who are kind of feeling really confident at that, at that point in time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one of the case studies I wanted to share with you was um, a situation where someone was still in the workplace. We spoke about that at the beginning. Mm. Um, so this was was a gentleman who had uh, quite significant um, mental health condition. Um, he was schizophrenic. He had been known to our service before, so he'd been absent for, for quite a long while, but it was, it was a couple of years earlier. Um, but the case manager he'd worked with then um, was still working uh, within the company. Um, so we had an, a referral we received from his income protection employer, um, insurer, sorry, um, to say the employer is worried. They're starting to see some of the behaviours that they saw last time, mm. um, which suggested kind of a ramp up in his uh, in his mental health condition. They're starting to see that again now, um, and they want to see if there's anything we can do to support him to, uh, to to stay in the workplace, but to seek early treatment so that he didn't become as unwell again um which was wonderful it was it was so positive to to hear that and for the insurer to see that it was far better to do a kind of that short sharp intervention at the beginning than for him to become absent because he was absent for a significant period of time um previously and had on claim for a short amount of time um so thankfully yes the case manager who he developed a, a really good rapport with um and he still remembered her name which were, which was wonderful. Um, we were able to reallocate the case to her, um, and it was supportive for him that he didn't have to uh, go through everything he'd been through in the past and, and give a kind of an expansive history. Um, but they could also look at some of the um, plans um, and safety netting that had been put in place the first time round, and they were able to use that almost as a framework to discuss where he thought he was at with his mental health at that point in time, because I think perception of where you're at with your health, as opposed to where other people might see you with your mental health, there can be a bit of a disconnection there. Um, but because they already had that uh, positive relationship, um, they were able to have some of those more uh, frank and shall I say, and open discussions um, from the beginning about, the concerns that people in the workplace were having about certain behaviours that he was doing. Um, and I think by being a, a service that is led by clinicians, so kind of the nurse, physio, OTs, we are afforded, and I'm sorry, insurers who are listening to uh, this podcast, we are afforded, I think, a little bit more leeway to ask some of those uncomfortable or, or difficult questions um, in our initial interactions with people that, that can really get to kind of what the root issue is. Um, but in his situation, I, we got the feeling that he, he was, wasn't saying anything to anyone, but he was worried about his, his mental health, hmm. um, but didn't really know where to start. 
uh, with, uh, with addressing it again. So being able to speak to the same person and, and look at everything that had been put in place the previous time. And we'd supported the design of something called a wellness recovery action plan, which is very much a kind of a roadmap of if, uh, if we see these certain symptoms, these are the sort of things we're going to think about doing. So he felt listened to and supported and we weren't really telling him anything he didn't already know, but he just needed that person to be to be a guide and to be a support for him while he went through that. Um, and he did uh, he was able to sustain um, remaining in the workplace. The employer thankfully facilitated him having time off for kind of appointments that he needed to have um, and uh, some short term amendments to his day, um, giving him a place to go and kind of decompress when he needed it, reducing his the targets that were expected from him in the workplace, just gave him that breathing space to focus on what he needed to. Um, and the case manager, I, I think she only needed to spend about four weeks supporting him. So it was a real, really short, sharp intervention um, just to get him back on that even keel and get him engaging in the services that were, that were available to him. Um, and then she was able to step back and Thankfully, we've not heard anything again, which is always um, a good news in our in our industry. Absolutely. That sounds like a brilliant one to being so proactive. And I think I imagine for him as well, I suppose some people would maybe be a bit nervous if their employer was sort of saying, hang on a minute, you know, sort of like I'm thinking you're maybe being a bit symptomatic, you know, but really good that they took that step and had that confidence to, to reach out to yourselves and and to sort of restart everything that's um that's a really lovely one and there's another one as well I think you were going to to go through is that right yes uh, there there is and I will try and uh, keep the medical lingo down to a, a bare minimum I apologize we we do like uh silly terms in medicine I think it's all right <laughs> but but this gentleman it, he was it was a really interesting case he initially presented um with what seemed like a very straightforward um, appendicitis, um, he then be, he then became very unwell very very quickly and actually spent a significant period of time in in, in intensive care, um, which is unusual for for an appendicitis, uh, particularly in a, this chap is a relatively young gentleman with a with a younger family, he didn't have any comorbid conditions and he'd actually been very physically active. So there was nothing to indicate that he would have such a significant reaction. But um, yeah, he, he developed a significant infection and ended up in ITU. He was ventilated for quite a long time. Um, so when the case uh, was eventually referred to our team, obviously he'd recovered from that initial infection phase, um, but he had been left with quite a significant respiratory problem, which comes along quite often if someone's been ventilated for a longer amount of time. He'd also de developed a, uh, a neurological condition um, and he had various symptoms related to the initial infection that had impacted his, his spine um, and his bladder. So th there's a lot, there was a lot going on there for him. Unsurprisingly, um, and we see it quite often it, when someone's been um, admitted to intensive care, um, there are uh, mental health issues that come along with that for people, particularly if you've not been an unwell person before. He suffered with uh, post-traumatic stress um, and uh, a longer term depression. And he was also reporting uh, cognitive difficulties. Kind of, We hear this term quite a lot now, but if someone's been ventilated, obviously they're, sedate, they're under heavy sedation and it does have an impact on their kind of uh, cognitive abilities. They report something called brain fog. It can have longer term fatigue um, impact to it. Um, so there was a lot going on for this gentleman and he was having a lot of support from NHS services at that point in time um, to understand and to, to go through a, a lot of the, uh, the symptoms that needed addressing, particularly kind of the bladder issues and the neurological issues. Um, he was receiving some, some physiotherapy um, and NHS physiotherapy is very, very good at doing kind of the basics to, to get you back up and back up and functioning at home. Um, but what they, they don't have the capacity to do is really that kind of vocational focus to, to the rehab. So really looking at what that person 
wants and needs to be able to do to get back into the workplace. Um, so once we'd made our initial assessment, it, it was clear that there could be some dovetailing um, of we have a partner service, a partner physiotherapy service um, that we were able to refer him into um, to really help him um, with his musculoskeletal and his respiratory function. They are still very much a work in progress, um, but he is seeing he is seeing some improvements from that perspective. Um, we also thankfully had a very supportive employer and so they were happy to facilitate um, an advanced uh, workstation assessment to really look at um, all the wonderful ergonomic kit um, that is available. Um, obviously this was a very specialist um, assessment because of because of his needs um, and we were also looking at um, adaptive uh, software that could be put in place um, in the workplace. So pulling all of those things together, we have managed to achieve, he's working three days a week. So he's, he's currently on a, a, a proportional benefit. Mm -hmm. He's doing three days a week, but spread over five days. Um, and in his case, some of the adaptations are, mornings are very much his best time of day. So he, he's doing the majority of his work in the morning, um, but he's really, pay, we've helped him design a pacing process throughout his day so that he can have breaks and then be able to, to concentrate again and then have another little break. So he's really optimizing the best times of his day um, without completely exhausting him. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're lucky the employer and the insurer have both been incredibly supportive of this. And although he is still on the, the proportional benefit, he's not fully on claim at this point in time. So that's a bonus for the insurer. The employer is getting a, a very well-loved employee back. The employee is, bless him, if, if either the insurer or the employer ever needs a kind of a, a positive statement, he is the gentleman to give them a kind of a, a little soundbite. He is uh, absolutely thrilled by the support he's received from, from both, of the, both the insurance side and the employer side. Um, and... I can't say we're ever fully going to get him back to work, but I thought he was just a really, really good example of someone with, on paper, a significant amount of barriers to return to work. Yeah. But these people absolutely shouldn't be written off. We, we, we know the data shows that someone who is out of work long-term um, will be at a much higher risk of uh, contracting some of the more chronic conditions that can actually lead to a kind of a shortening of lifespan. So you're at much higher risk of uh, type two diabetes, high blood pressure, other cardiovascular conditions. If you are, um, if you're out of work, uh, much as we might not all feel like going to work Monday morning, it's good for our health. Um, and that's just on the physical side. It's absolutely good for our mental health as well to have that structure and have that routine to our day um, and for this chap it was his kind of number one goal was he wanted to be able to see himself back in the workplace and, and doing something productive um, so his was a kind of another good news story that yeah let's not write these guys off yes it's hard um, and our case manager is still support, supporting him quite a long way down the line. Um, so he's very different from our short, sharp example in the mm. in the previous one. But it's absolutely the, the right thing to be doing. And I'm just so thankful for him. He has the right insurer and the right employer supporting him and enabling him to, to do that. Um, so, yeah, he's my little positive. Bless him. Absolutely. I think what's, like you say, stand out from that is, that, I mean, just generally from a, a human side of things, you know, we shouldn't write people off in that kind of a situation. You know, I, I don't think, I don't think, well, I hope that there's not many people that would look at that and just go, right, that's it, you know, not going to have this person back. But as well, from like an employer's point of view, you've got somebody there who is highly skilled, highly trained. Yes, they need to work a lower amount of hours, but you know, do you do it sort of like, do you do something where you try and retain that person and maybe bring in another person part-time to work alongside them that they can learn from that skill set, learn from that knowledge and everything? Or do you start from scratch with somebody brand new? And, you know, the loyalty that he must feel towards his employer as well must be absolutely phenomenal. Um, 
So I, I think there's so many different ways of, of looking at this and looking as to why it's it's the right thing to do. But we're, we're coming towards the end of the, the episode now. I think it's been really, really good to sort of bring home and hit home how how this works and how it actually has practically worked for those case studies. So I know you're with Health Claims Bureau. So obviously just to give you maybe a few minutes to just chat a little bit about Health Claims Bureau. And there's also, I remember us chatting about so like options about coming into to organizations as well, that you've got something, something that's been in place and something new that's maybe coming along. So if you can tell us all about that, that'd be amazing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so yes, obviously uh, at HCB, um, early intervention is very much our kind of bread and butter work. And whether that's, as we've talked about today, um, with the support of your um, income protection insurer or whether it's direct from the employer, um, that's very much where, where our, our work starts. Um, having, so can you hear that? So, I can hear your dog, that's fine. No, 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 I want the dog in the podcast. I love it. Just carry on. <laughs> There we go. He has been good and quiet for for a while now. So. Brilliant, yeah. <laughs> um, so, but yes, outside of the early intervention work um, that we do, we do have a service uh, that's called Health in Hand um, that was really starting to gain traction in 2019 and the very beginning of 2020. Um, and then unfortunately, uh, the wonder of COVID came along and it's been been paused. But uh, the health in hand um, is very much um, kind of a, a, a menu, we like to call it, of proactive kind of health and we, well-being interventions that we can put in place for an employer um, based on whatever either something that the employer has identified in the workplace as a common theme or something they really want to, to focus on with their health and well-being during that year, or they can be tied in with the kind of NHS public health campaigns. Um, so in the past, we have done blood pressure clinics for clients around the Know Your Numbers campaign. We've done, our physios have done some musculoskeletal sessions. Uh, we've done uh, stress management in the workplace. Um, obviously, during COVID, we've done quite a lot around uh, remote working and kind of maintaining work-life balance. Um, but we can do uh, things along the lines of uh, checking blood sugars during a kind of diabetes uh, for diabetes sessions. Um, really, the, the list, it kind of goes on and on. So the, the health in hand gives you a kind of a, a, a pick list that you can choose from to kind of design what support you might want during during the coming year. Um, but what I would say is that anything that's not on there, um, it isn't a no. It would just be maybe having a conversation with us and seeing if it's something that we could do. Um, or it might be something that the partner services that, that we work with um, might be able to deliver. Um, so uh, the early intervention is very much kind of our day-to-day our -day work. But I think if you if you're interested as an employer in kind of nipping things in the bud before they get to the point that we're having to support people going back into the workplace um, that can be really really crucial um, and in some of the cases that we've worked on someone might have become physically unwell in the workplace um, with say a kind of a epilepsy or we have had some uh, cardiac issues in the workplace for some of our employers um, and really to support the employees in understanding what they've seen their colleague go through, um, particularly around things like kind of epilepsy or someone with, with um, type one diabetes who's had a hypo in the workplace, supporting the staff to understand what's happened there um, and to be able to support them, help them support the colleague in the future is really, is really useful. But also in those um, kind of sudden life events that we can see around um, cardiac conditions, uh, kind of the, the, the conditions that could come along if we're not prioritizing our, our health, our physical health or our mental health, um, putting something in place in as early on as possible, I think is really, really key. And interestingly, in a, one of the blood pressure sessions that we've delivered in the past, we did identify two members of staff with eye-wateringly high blood pressures who were able to um, go and see their GP that afternoon and uh, were, yeah, speedily uh, 
encouraged to uh, access um, medication um, and referral to specialist services um, to prevent a, a kind of a catastrophic illness coming along for them. So potentially, in many ways, kind of life-saving in some ways, you know, for, for people in the insurance world listening to this, it's kind of like, um, in some ways, you know, sorry, doing a pick and mix of potentially the, the free kind of medicals or health MOTs that we see that are offered with some insurance policies. And for, for my insurance, every year I can access, um, so like a mini medical, I get my cholesterol checks, my blood pressure, um, uh, what other things other things I get plenty of things checked um, all in one go and I think it's always that kind of thing it's so much better to be preventative rather than reactive um so that's pretty Absolutely. so how do people obviously insurances wise insurers can come to you set up relationships with you um organizations so employers what do they do, do they just in a sense do they just have to look for you on the on the internet see whereabouts you are and get in contact yeah absolutely we have obviously we have our website um, we're on LinkedIn. Um, we're very, very lucky. We have a, a, a super, uh, super marketing support. Um, so we, we are, are on Twitter as well. Um, but yes, insurer, employee, employer, if you, if you can find us um, under hcbgroup.co.uk, um, there, there's the contact form and there's our phone number. There's uh, the email address for our, our inquiries inbox. So you be able to start that conversation and we will we will come back to you. We do also have quite an extensive suite of technical services, um, which um, one of my colleagues is uh, far more skilled in. Um, and so once you, once you've had that initial conversation with us, if that looks like something that could be of benefit to you, particularly for um, insurance clients, um, we will always make sure that you're put either. Um, yeah to the right person. So it, whether it be a clinical issue, you might come to me. Um, if you're looking more at that kind of those technical services, then I can direct you to my colleague. Um, but yes, through the website and we'll see what we can do. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today, Christy. It's been absolutely lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much, Catherine. I really enjoyed it and I appreciated uh, having the forum to talk about what we do. Absolutely. I think it's incredibly important. So next time I'm going to be back soon and I'm going to be speaking with Peter Maynard about how underwriting manuals are developed, how these are used by insurers and the role of the manual and automatic underwriting. If you would like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And don't forget that we are now sponsored by Octo members and you can now get an accredited CPD certificate for listening to this um, episode. And again, please just contact us through the website to get that. So thank you again, Christy. It was lovely speaking to you. Thank you, Catherine. Bye. Bye-bye.